Welcome back to another episode of East Got Game, an unofficial podcast covering the NBL One East competition for 2023, where we review, preview and interview our way through the season. With me is, as always, Lockie France, and my name is Jacinta from the Central Coast Crusaders. Lockie, how are you going? You've had a very eventful 48 hours. I have had an extremely eventful, just the last 24 is eventful enough. My beloved Matildas and my beloved Sharkies men and my beloved Norse women all getting up. So it's been a massive, massive uh, day or so for me. Yeah, huge. I mean, there's like three of your favourite teams winning, well, not champ, two, two teams winning championships and the third winning, you know, something close to a championship given they beat France in a penalty shootout. I mean, your nerves and emotions must be completely exhausted. Yeah, pretty much. But I've got till Wednesday to, uh, you know, uh, get back in the swing of things. So up the tillies. Take a couple of days off. Take it easy at work the next couple of days so you can be restored well enough for the Matilda semifinal on Tuesday. So while you were having some fun at Olympic Park uh, with the Matilda screening, we had the NBL One East Grand Final at Sydney Uni. And the first game was, of course, Manly Warringah Seagulls versus North Bears in the women's competition. Going into this game, Lockie, uh, pretty much every angle you looked at this game as a preview, it was neck and neck. Oh, 100%. Manly, you know, finished 20 and 2. Norse, not quite at that level, but the way Norse dominated some teams in their wins, the numbers right across the board, struggle to pick it. I mean, it wasn't. Cons- it's, I don't think it's been consensus across the board from neutral fans going into the game. So yeah, it was always always a coin flip. This one, yeah, it was a coin flip. Exactly. I think that's how the metaphor I also used on the day where people were asking who I thought was going to win, and I was like, "But statistically, basic stats very close to call. Looking at the rosters, very close, and even in the advanced stats, even closer." I think one of the stats that Norse had quite an advantage over Manly was field goal percentage overall and from the three-point line. That was probably the only edge that they had statistically. Norse being overall rating team, like best defensive rating team, best offensive rated team, uh, the team that threw the least amount of turnovers, the team that had the highest number of assists and steals, and not too far behind, Manly were either second or in the top three of the same statistic. Like exactly as you said, just flip a coin. 100%. And you talk about field goal percentage and look at the disparity on the day. Yes, that is exactly right. We'll get into some of that nitty gritty just in a minute. And I mean, as you know, I I was very lucky to commentate this game with Caleb. Now we know his last name, Fogarty. Caleb Fogarty from Maitland. Big shout out to him. He is uh, did a great job on the day, very easy to work with. He came very well prepared, very professional guy. So I was very lucky to call the game with Caleb. So thanks again, Caleb. Much appreciated. Might have to come up to Maitland one day and do a game again together. So maybe, Lockie, I'm just going to ask you what you thought of this game first, considering that you watched it today. What firstly came to mind was when we were talking about depth across the two teams. Matt McQuaid was on last week. We talked with him and we mentioned the depth as you go further down the bench. Norse advantage gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it was bore out in that game because Sarah Shika came off the bench, played 14 minutes and had six points and 11 rebounds. Moved to the bench in recent weeks to uh, allow Jess Bygate to start. Renee Renee Garlick just changing things up. You know, when Shika was in there, um, bore out in the statistics. Let's not forget... 
four blocks as well. Norse having that ability to both Shikar and Carla Pittman off the bench to finish with, you know, 11 bench points to a grand total of zero from Manly. In a game where Manly let it get out in the first half against a team that's got more depth than you, that's great at controlling the tempo when they get a lead, they know how to maintain a lead. They don't necessarily have to go and blow you out because they know good they are at not letting teams get back into things. And when you go down and you've got to throw something different at the opposition, when the opposition's already got more depth than you, it just makes it very, very, very difficult to change things up. I mean, not just depth, but I mean, Manly only had four players who actually, you know, put the ball in the basket for the entire game. Annie Henderson finished 0-7, Zoe Miller 0-4, Josie Ballman 0-2. Just puts a real, real strain on your expected scorers. Eventually, the the defense knows that they're going to be the players who are always scoring if you don't have those players chipping in, which Norse did, except for Caitlin Martin, who only played 90 seconds. You know, they had seven players score and four of them shooting in excess of 40% from the field. And of course, Emily Simons, six of 10, two-point range, just consistent as always. And I thought she was absolutely exemplary out there for the Bears. Definitely. I think, honestly, on the day, it really, and this sounds really silly but and simple, but sometimes basketball is just a simple game. It honestly just came down to Norse making more shots. There was certainly a period, I think, in the, I think it was in the second quarter perhaps when Norse really started to pull away in the scoring. They started to get a few more open looks inside and in the paint and they just happened to make a lot of easy twos. So Jolene Anderson, Emily Simons, they ended up having a couple of turnaround jump shots or one-on-one opportunities under the basket and they started to make it. And then in that situation, in that certain period of the game, Norse ended up making, I think, six or eight points in a row just in those situations and then Manly weren't able to give them a reply. Pretty much that's what gave Norse their healthy 10 to 11-point lead and they were able to maintain that lead or extend that lead throughout the game. Like you said, as soon as Norse got a lead, they just really held on to it. I had to really feel for Manly because they were really doing as much as they possibly could. They were making quick adjustments. Fliss Henderson and Kimberly Hodge had some really great looks in the two-man game on the pick and roll, but it was just one of those days where the shots that they would normally make day-to-day just weren't dropping. Like Kim Hodgson's had some really good opportunities to make layups from the high post um, or even in the fast break, and she they just weren't dropping. I mean, Fliss Henderson herself was four from 13. Honestly, it was just one of those days where their shots weren't dropping. Seven of 17 for Kim Hodge from the field. You know, for, for most players, you'd say, you know, that's a, that's a decent day out, shooting 40% from the field. But I know Kim would probably expect herself to have a, a better day than that from two-point range. Whereas, you know, Norse could, as you said, they shot 40% from the field for the game. You know, four players shooting really well. Probably only the three three-point shooting really dragging their um their overall percentage down. They've been quite up and down with their three-point percentage all season, even though statistically they were still one of the better three-point shoot uh, shooting teams overall for the season. It sounds like, you know, harsh criticism, but it's not exactly a high bar to be high in the three-point percentage in the league this year. I don't feel like many teams have really shot the three ball that well. And as you said, teams teams go up and down. And I mean, both teams were probably down on Saturday. And even in that first quarter, 
It took a good six minutes for either team to start to feel comfortable. There was still, you could still feel some tension in both teams, particularly on decision-making, lots of quick shots from both teams that perhaps were a little bit rushed. And early on, especially in a finals game, when you're understandably a little bit more nervous and feeling the pressure a little bit, if some of your easier shots like layups from the high post or like transition layups aren't going in as, as well as they normally would, that could start to play on your mind psychologically for the rest of the game. Uh, and with the added pressure, that's, you know, not ideal to, to have that playing on your mind as well. But the good thing is that Manly kept shooting the ball because uh, sometimes in that, those situations, teams will just freeze up and stop shooting. So they kept shooting the ball, which was good. Um, they came out really strong in the third quarter, winning that quarter 21 to 18. Thanks to the likes of Alex Delaney, who really came alive in that third. She was much more aggressive one-on-one, as particularly from the wing. And if she wasn't getting layups in that third quarter, she was getting to the free throw line. And she shot six from seven from the free throw line all game. So that was a <laughs> massive help for Manly in that third quarter. But how's about the last quarter? <laughs> the final score was 10 to 12 in fa- in favor of North. And yeah, the fourth quarter was big periods of they, they, each team just go up and a, and a dodgy shot or a deflection or a turnover or a dodgy shot. And I was like, can someone please call a timeout just so everyone can settle down? It's funny because I was Olympic Park around 3 p.m. So I was just, I just had the live stats on. Even by then getting 4G service around Olympic Park was a bit iffy and that was you know an hour and a half before the Matildas game even started but I was watching the live stats and I, I thought it had frozen but then I realized the clock was still moving on it because the scores were not because I think it was about 5-4 for the quarter after about halfway or six minutes through it was, what is going on here and then you go back and actually have a look at what happened North, yeah. Norse may be feeling like they just have to get a couple of baskets to put it away and doing too much and merely feeling like they have to get a couple of baskets to get back in it and also, you know, trying to get it too quickly. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was like they were mirroring each <clears> other. <throat> Both teams going on quite a scoring drought. A few fouls as well. Like I think coming into the end of the third, Emily Simons got her third foul. I think it was three minutes to go in the third. She got her third foul and we expected her to be subbed off, but I don't think she was subbed off for the rest of the game. Coach Garlop just putting her faith in her that she wasn't going to commit any more fouls and be able to stay in the game for longer. Um, But just a side note about your 4G coverage, it was exactly the same at University of Sydney because unfortunately we weren't provided with a Wi-Fi access for us to be able to access the live stats during the commentary call. And I tried to tether from my phone and I was unable to get enough 4G to tether. So I had no live stats while I was calling the grand final. So just to add to the anxiety and the nerves of the day, uh, I had very limited resources. It's funny. I, I remember going to Flames games down there at Brighton's. The Faraday cage, as I sometimes call it, because, yeah, no radio signal gets out. Not the greatest place to be if you need uh, need phone service. You know, we've gone through it statistically. If we take a little bit of a closer look, points in the paint for Norths, 44 of their 71 points were in the paint. And to, like I said earlier, that was really achieved by a lot of different players. So it wasn't typically going into their inside players all the time. Like very early, North certainly looked to go into their inside players. I really liked how after a couple of unsuccessful offensive possessions, they'd hold back a little bit, wait till they executed the play until it got to like the third or fourth phase and got the likes of Jess Bygate uh, or sometimes even Jolene Anderson 
on like a weak side screen and a curl cut right under the basket. And when you've got great passes like M. Simons and Kate Seabom, who ended, Kate Seabom had six assists, that's when their execution was at its best. And that kind of shows why they got so many points in the paint. Carla Pittman made some really good moves, but hers just kind of rattled out a little bit. And Shikar as well with her six points in the paint too. So yeah, 44 out of 71. For a team that's not really known for their height and for their inside presence on the offensive end, I thought it was pretty impressive. 100%. And it's funny, you, you mentioned Anderson and uh, Bygate, you know, getting in those good positions. That was actually one of the first things I noticed. Once once the game started to settle down after those first few minutes and, you know, the teams actually got into running some sets and doing it, you know, executing how they wanted to. There were a couple of players I even had to look back. I was like, is that just a terrible defensive breakdown by Manly? It's like, no, that's just Norse running a really, really good set and setting really good screens. And there were so many examples of that from both teams the whole game. Like there would be a really good offensive play and we're about to make a comment on that, but then there'd be an even better defensive play to stop that offensive play. There were so many of those head-to-head battles through the whole game that was really impressive. So it made commentating like pretty tricky too because just as we thought we'd saw one thing, then it would very quickly change to the next. But yeah, second chance points as well. So uh, North had 13 second chance points and Manly ended up with seven. But I think it was the timing of these second chance points, to be honest. There was a period, like I mentioned, I think in the second where North really started to compose themselves, got all those points in the paint, like I mentioned earlier. But then there were also periods of the game when it looked like Manly was trying to come back and chip away at North's lead. They would have a couple of lapses in judgment and communication where a loose ball would go awry and uh, North were able to pick that up and, and turn that into a score. I think the likes of Kate Seabom was really good at coming in on the trail. She got a couple of handy points in those situations. So I think that was probably an outstanding stat. But just really unfortunate for Manly that um, that they just didn't have their best shooting day. Two points. First of all, 13, 17 second chance points, but only difference in one in offensive rebounds. So, you know, North doing more with basically the same same amount of opportunities. And the shooting percentage, I mean, North only had four more field goal attempts than Manly all day, won it by 15 in the end. So it bears out. Who puts the big round thing through the slightly bigger round thing? Been pretty North heavy. We should probably give a few more props to Manly. Josie Bullman, I like to give a shout out. Statistically, you know, she got two offensive rebounds, which, you know, expected for Josie Bullman to get some offensive rebounds, a steal, an assist, which doesn't look like a lot on stats. But given that she only played 16 minutes and given that she is a, a role player off the bench, I think the time she came on was very handy for Manly. She was able to give one of the starters a really good rest but continue the momentum that Manly had on the court. So she was really great at playing her role. You're trying to judge Josie Bullman's performance by what is on the box score. That is, you know, a mistake in and of itself, really. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the likes of Josie Bullman... And I think we've mentioned in an earlier episode, uh, Annie Henderson, or the contribution, I should say, that Mm -hmm. they provide is generally not on a box score. But what about you? What are some of the players that stood out to you on either team? Well, first of all, it was good to see Alex Delaney come in without a sleeve on her calf. You know, she tr- she tried to put the team on her back. You know, she she recognised. You know, she's the you know she's the player with the most pedigree out there. And I don't mean try putting the team on her back as in doing it all herself. I mean, just being aggressive, 
taking the opportunities on when they're there, not shying away from the moment. And, I mean, you wouldn't expect anything less from Alex. You finished with 16 and 11, um, 6 or 7 at the line, as you mentioned. Shot the best percentage of any anyone on the Manly side. Back in the starting lineup for the first time in three weeks or so. You know, it wasn't the... Um, smoothest transition into finals for Manly for a team that went 20 and two. I know that sounds ridiculous to say, but you know, you're moving Alex Delaney from starting lineup to out to six man back into the starting lineup on grand final day. I mean, I think she took the situation on really, really well, played 36 minutes in the end. We talked about Kim Hodge, finished top scorer. Was she top scorer for the game? Got to the free throw line a lot, seven of 12 at the line, but got there plenty didn't have a best shooting day, but still got in some really good positions. The ball had gone in the hole a bit more. Could have been a much closer game down the stretch. And I think like just on Alex Delaney again in terms of we both spoke about how we liked how aggressive she was being. There were periods in this game where each team went into iso ball a little bit too much, and that's when it just completely broke down for both teams. Like we know that both of these teams are very, at their best, team-orientated, converse to that. As soon as they went a little bit too much one-on-one in each offensive situation, that's when it kind of fell apart for each team. The difference being when Alex was started to go, uh, when Alex was starting to be more aggressive in the third, they were all open shooting options rather than trying to create something out of nothing. Um, And sometimes you need someone to take on that responsibility to spark a little bit more in your team. So I think that was very well read by her. On this team, a lot of them aren't, you know, iso ball, you know, cook you off the dribble kind of players. They play good team ball because they're good team ball players first and foremost. You know, they're not a Shiloh Hill, Will Cranston Leon who are going to cook you with a dribble move and hit the step back three kind of thing. And I think that's actually what I like about how these teams play, to be honest. No, Uh, me too. I'm the same. I much prefer... You know, I'm all for individual talent and skill and, and skill sets, but I also prefer a team with uh, solid team principles um, and a team that you can see are committed to their system and their team principles and executing that really well. There's room for individual brilliance within the team setting. You're going to absolutely burn your defender with a killer move and it helps the team? Go for it. It's when it doesn't work that you get into problems. Oh, absolutely. And um, one of the matchups that was actually really really cool to see was Fliss Henderson and Carla Pittman because just the way I mean Carla Pittman's a great defender but just the way Fliss Henderson was able to break her down in a one-on-one situation and still managed to get up a decent shot was really impressive I quite liked that matchup Mm. Uh, yeah congratulations to the Bears Um, Yes, and that rivalry between Norse and Manly certainly runs very deep and uh, very passionately There were certainly some people expressing their opinions online and on social media about this matchup ahead of the game. And uh, Caleb also did the hard work and reached out to Tim Hill, who's the high-performance coach at Manly and has probably coached a lot of the people on the Manly roster himself and then also reached out to Mike Golding, who's the high-performance coach at North. Uh, just to get a better understanding about the rivalry between the two clubs. And there certainly isn't any love lost (laughs) between the two, which we love a rivalry. Um, We do. I I mean, if if I was in Renee's shoes, I would have thrown on the ex-Manly players at the end of the game. Yeah, imagine. 100% Lauren Walker and Holly Wills would 100% be out there for the last couple of minutes if that was me. 
on the sideline for Norse. I don't think Renee was willing to dabble into that part of the, the history between the two clubs, to be honest. I think she was just focused on winning and getting it over and done with because I don't think, uh, I don't think she's really one to get caught up in that stuff, to be fair. I guess that's why she's the one who's an Australian assistant coach not doing a podcast, trolling people. <laughs> yeah. Well, to be fair, we're not really trolls, though, ourselves, though, are no. we? We're just like observers. I mean, I love Norse, and there's a lot of players on that Manly team that I really like as well. So, And I think it's really worth noting as well that for this Norse team, they had an all-female coaching staff. Probably the only team, I reckon, in the country that has an all-female coaching staff. I'm going to make that bold statement. They'll <laughs> if, certainly be the only team at NBL1 Nationals with an all-female coaching staff, and also their manager is a female. So I think that's a really great achievement and milestone to, to celebrate. All right, but otherwise, moving on to the men's game. Lockie, your boys. What are the you Sharkies. Think? Sucks for Maitland making two grand finals in two years and losing them both. I mean, great effort to get there on both occasions because this was fifth versus seventh. Huge effort from both teams just to get there. Matt said it last week. Maitland had got to force Sutherland to shoot threes, and they didn't. Sutherland only had to take 10 threes for the entire game. They hit three of them, but more to the point, they were only forced into taking 10 threes for the entire game. And, you know, Sutherland did what they do, you know, got downhill, tried to get to the rack. Yes, finished with, well, 54-52 points in the paint. Hard for Maitland to pick up points outside the paint because they shot four of 26 from outside. You know, that's a tough night out of shooting. Lockie Hutchison was five of 12, but he was the one shooting some of those threes. But Cabrera, 55% from the field. Beasley, 58. Mitchell, 6 of 10, 60%. Jeff Gerlach, 3 of 5, 60%. Dengak, 2 of 5. But um, his length around the rim is just, you know, annoying for all and sundry. So he contributes in other ways. But yeah, Sutherland, yeah. 50.8% 50.8% from the field and 55.1% from two-point range. Getting into close quarters and Beasley especially finishing so many tough ones. There were times where I was like, why did you catch the ball there, Markel? And he just lean back or lean left or lean right, crawling out from behind the ball in Call of Duty, just, you know, leaning and just putting the ball in the basket. I was when I was looking at the stats before I watched the game today, I was like, okay, Sharkies must have got a lot of easy looks, but they were finishing some tough ones. Fair play to Maitland, especially James Hunter got left way too open on a few occasions. Scared me a little bit watching in the early stages. Maitland couldn't put the ball in the hole. James Hunter, you know, another thing we discussed with Matt, if James Hunter's hitting threes, he forces Gerlach out away from where he wants to be and those weren't falling for him. Uh, Matt Gray, 0 of 5 from three-point range as well, including that prayer, which would have sent it to overtime, which actually wasn't too far away. No, it really wasn't. uh, Second (laughs) basket. Cranston Leon, 2 of 7 from three. Billy Parsons, though, 2 of 4, including one that almost, you know, that one right at the end, the corner three, got them right back for for Sutherland to win at the line because it was 80 to 72 with not a lot of time left. Billy Parsons hit two of his four three-pointers. At the right time of the game, he's the one that brought it back to within three in those mm. dying seconds. 15.6 rebounds. He just continues on his upward trajectory. He had that behind-the-back dribble as well to get to the get to the basket on one where he looked absolutely dead to rights and just trying to get to the rack. And so uh, usually behind-the-back dribble in the paint ends up in the ball going the other in the other direction. 
And uh, someone who stood out for me in their 10 minutes was Will Mortimer. Yeah, I really liked him as well. He um, really showed up for this game. Ten, yeah. ten and a half minutes he played, eight points, four rebounds, four from six from the field. Oh, my gosh. Did you know he's only 16? So he's bottom age. Oh, wow. Yeah, I only like that too. I was like, oh, it's just probably someone from Maitland I haven't heard of. No, and I, I thought he was top age 18. Unless what? he's still to turn 17. Unless he's still to turn 17, but still... That's still late. That was that's still young. That's real young. And he was taking it to, you know, full grown men out there. Yeah, that's why I was even more surprised <laughs> that he was sixteen, because I was yeah. like, hold on, you do not A, do not look sixteen, and B, you are not playing like a sixteen year old. No. I was really impressed with him. Wendy Riley from Maitland, who's Shaq's mum, she was the one that told me on the sideline he's only sixteen and I was just astounded. So keep your eyes on Will Mortimer. I mean, when you've got Will Mortimer and Billy Parsons as your youth in that team, your program is in safe hands. But Sydney Hunter, she was expressing some frustration with the Maitland Mustangs men's boxing out and rebounding. And if look, if that's an observation from someone like Sydney Hunter, who was always in double figures for the season in rebounds, that's probably feedback that you should probably take on. Uh, yeah, if, yeah, Sid Hunter's telling you something about rebounding. You probably want to listen to it. But funnily um, enough... Uh, Malin actually won the rebound count 45 to 40, but they did rack up 26 fouls to 21. So it was a lot more fouls in this game compared to the women's game. I did like in the women's game that it was physical and the referees just let a lot of it go. Like they just let them play through it. I did like that. I think sometimes in the men's game, it wasn't so much the physicality. It was just the defense was too reactive. Honestly, it's probably been a bit of an issue with both of these teams all season. I think we've mentioned that before. Yeah. Yeah. So Sutherland... Really good job of finishing under the basket. What I really like about Jeffrey Gerlach being the captain as well, he always leads by example. His communication skills with his team were on point. Any opportunity where he could gather the troops, he was doing that. So I love love that for a leader. But another thing with both games is that I think they were both cursed by the announcement of the awards on the day of the grand final. Mm. Uh, something else that's also Sydney Hunter and I spoke about is why you got to announce the awards the day of the grand final. You know the award that will have been absolute poison is Will Cranston Lound getting MVP for Maitland because Lockie Hutchison will have made it his personal mission to make sure he gets the win over the MVP. Not not in a I'm the MVP and he isn't. You can't give Lockie Hutchison extra motivation. The extra competitive you, motivation. That makes you sense. Know, he, he's just going in there. He doesn't need he doesn't need the whole I'm gonna show everyone I'm MVP and he isn't. He just wants to go in there and go, I'm going to beat the MVP who is my direct opponent today. That's all he needs. Well, and that's exactly what he did. Not only did they win a championship, but then he was finals MVP. <laughs> exactly. It's interesting, speaking of Hutchison, um, talking about having Jeff as captain, because Hutch is a leader in a different way in what he does on the court. Having Jeff's calmness there, and as you said, he's always huddle, huddle boys, huddle up every time he can. It's really good having Jeff as captain and letting Hutch just lead as point guard. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I think especially when you get to this level, uh, the semi-professional level, your captain shouldn't and isn't always necessarily your best player. It's the person that has those other leadership skills. Obviously, leadership skills include leading by example, uh, by performance and organisation, and particularly when you're a point guard. But leading by example of hustling, communicating, uh, boosting the bravado of the team, that kind of stuff, 
That's that's true leadership uh, when you get to this level. And especially, you got to remember that Jeff actually did a fair bit of coaching over in the States before he came back as well. So when he finished in college, he, he coached for a bit. We already know he has a great basketball IQ, but that would have only, that coaching stint over there would have only improved that. So, you know, he gets in the huddle and he's probably seeing things out there. It, it probably gains you one or two timeouts, essentially, just by having him talking about things in the huddle. Great advantage to have, like the coach on the court in a point guard and then a coach on the court in a great captain with coaching experience. That's um, that's some X-factor mm. secret source stuff that we don't account for usually. Mm. Any final thoughts on this game? Massive, massive congratulations to Coach Pat Williamson. Stepped up, you know, was assistant coach and youth league coach last year. Stepped up into the head coaching role, you know, did that intern program at Illawarra that Angus Burke told us so much about. Great, great work, Sutherland. Great work, boys. Proud of the whole team as a Sutherland. There you go. Yeah, massive congratulations to both winning coaches, Renee Gallup and Pat Williamson. But, yeah, massive congratulations <laughs> to everyone. I also have to say uh, great job to all four competing teams bringing their fans along because the atmosphere in the venue was insane. So at halftime, Caleb and I took our headsets off and we couldn't hear anything because it was so loud in there that we actually wanted to put our headsets back on. It was so loud. You couldn't hear yourself think. We were lucky enough that we were able to hear each other really well. But outside of that, it was insane in there. There were Manly fans that had posters and big photos of the coach and the players printed out. They had Bond singlets that spelt something, but I couldn't quite make out what it said. (laughs) We had a whole bunch of Norse fans that had some old school Norse jerseys sitting behind the benches. And I saw a lot of old school Maitland Mustangs warm-up tops worn as well on the weekend, which really was a bit of a throwback for me. Did the the, uh, Norse fans have their big fuzzy bear head? There was a bear, but I don't think it was a fuzzy. No, the fuzzy bear head wasn't there. No, No, that didn't come with. That's unfortunate. He's an underrated Muppet. Yes, that's <laughs> you're an underrated Muppet too, you tell me. <laughs> that's what they call me. <laughs> I'm the underrated Muppet. Um, so as it stands, now that the Norse Bears women are the champions of NBL 1 East for 2023 and the Sutherland Sharks men are also the champions, next week they head over to Perth for the NBL 1 National Finals over the 18th to 20th of August. Uh, for the women's standing, for the first day that kicks off on the Friday, Norse Bears are going to play Northside Wizards, who won the NBL One North. Uh, the Warwick Senators, who won the championship last year, have re-entered, and they're going to be playing Norwood Flames, who won NBL One Central. And the winners of NBL One West this year went to the Coburn Cougars, which was the first time ever Coburn have won a women's championship. So congratulations to them, and they're going to be playing. The undefeated Bendigo Braves. They went through NBL 1 South undefeated and now won the championship. Well, you talk about undefeated because Sturt went undefeated in NBL 1 Central women in the regular season and then lost to Norwood in the grand final. Absolute pain. Absolute pain, that would be. 18-0 and and no ring. I can't imagine. That's similar to South Carolina in the NCAAW season where they went through undefeated and lost in the semi. Yeah. Pain. Uh, yeah. In the in the central grand final, Alex Wilson, 23 points, 16 rebounds, 6 assists, played all 40 minutes, got them over the line. 
Far out. And grand final MVP, naturally. So that would be day one of the NBL1 Nationals on the Friday. So that's going to be really, really good. North versus North side is going to be an interesting matchup. And to be honest, me naturally knowing a little bit more about the women's team, Norse are going to be quite, I reckon they're going to be competitive. I think so. You know, they'll be very well drilled. They've gone from having, you know, some of the most talent of being very well drilled to a position where, you know, there will be teams with more talent out there, particularly the likes of Bendigo. But being well drilled is a very, very good place to start. And there are still some very, very good players on that Norse team, even at a national NBL one level. For sure. And I think their depth is going to go, is going to be in their favor as well. Mm. Because I know that while Bendigo are undefeated, they do have the likes of Atwell, McKay, Kelly Wilson. So, but I think they only really play like seven players, whereas Norse have the flexibility to play like eight or nine sometimes. I know that last year they were missing Alana Smith because she'd gone to Poland. Remember last year, Townsville came out and blitzed it on day one, but they only ran with six, and even the six didn't get a lot of minutes. And then Aubrey Wodonga, even without LJ, were able to take advantage and run eight players and go and get the win on the second day. That's correct. That is correct. And so for the men's draw... Uh, the first day of the NBL1 Nationals is going to be Knox Raiders versus West Adelaide Bearcats. Uh, Knox Raiders doing a pretty good job over Sandringham on the weekend and uh, Bearcats beating Forestville Eagles in the central final. Now, Bearcats are loaded. They've got Drimmick, McCarran, and the new signing for Illawarra Hawks, Lachlan. Is it Ulrich? Yeah, oh, Lock- Lockie Ulrich. Yeah, big 6'11 guy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, he was yeah. finals MVP. He's I'm super excited to watch him in the NBL season. Then we've got Rockingham Flames, who won the NBL one national title last year for the men, just so happened to also be from WA, like the Warwick Senators in the women's competition. They're going to be playing Ipswich Force, who's also super loaded. They've got a Galloway brother, Nathan Sobey. Um, they've got Matt Hodgson. I mean, the, the issue with NBL One Nationals last year, particularly for the men's competition, was that a lot of the NBL talent couldn't play. So some of the teams that competed weren't taking their full roster. So, for example, uh, Hobart Chargers had Sam McDaniel and Harry Froling in their championship winning South team and then didn't have either of them when it came to nationals, so they didn't perform as well as you expect. I mean, there, there were guys there on teams sitting in the stand watching the game because they weren't allowed to play. I, I think there was one one game there were five or six NBL guys sitting in the stand. By all rights, should have been playing. And it was, yeah, so Kadi and Krebs were supposed to play for Gold Coast Rollers and then mm. Harry Froling was supposed to play for Hobart and they were all playing for Brisbane at the time and were called away to get ready for the NBL Blitz. I think they've worked on the timing though this time, so it should, should, that should be avoided. Then in the final matchup for the first day of the men's NBL 1 Nationals Finals, it's West versus East, and that is the Geraldton Buccaneers versus our very own Sutherland Sharks. Do you know much about this Buccaneers team, Lockie? NBL 1 West, not really my jam. On the women's side, I take a bit of a look at it, but that's mostly because it's always full of Pac-12 players. But usually, like, NBL 1 West, at least with the champions, I know two or three, maybe four of the men's players. But really, on this Geraldton team, don't really know a lot of the names. Evidently, they've uh, put together quite a handy team and, you know, got over the line in the grand final. 
Yeah, it looks like also another very close grand final. I think all of the grand finals across all conferences were, were really close and entertaining. So great to see no, no blowouts because we don't want that in any game, let alone a finals game. The way that the format is going to work for the NBL One Nationals is that teams will play three games, one per day, Friday to Sunday. A random draw took place with the state CEO's mid-season to determine the Friday night schedule. The Saturday night schedule will be determined by the result of the Friday night games. So Saturday's format is first versus fifth, second versus fourth, and third versus sixth, and Sunday being championship day. And the point system works along the lines of you get points if you win the game, but you also get points if you win a quarter. And then that gives you your total amount of points. And then based on those points, that's how they determine the rankings for the Saturday games. However, they've listed the championship games on the Sunday, 11 a.m. for the women and 1.30 p.m. for the men. So we were guessing offline, Lockie, that like it was last year, they will still have a couple of games on quite early that Sunday with a couple of with a little bit of overlap with those championship games. Imagine if you're literally any team, you go all the way to Perth and you play two games. It's a bit it's a long way to go for just to play on the Friday, Saturday. I don't know. I reckon it'd be pretty cool, like a working holiday. So I wouldn't mind it. I wouldn't mind having that Sunday off just so you can chill in the morning, be a bit of a tourist, and then rock up to watch the first championship game, you know, a little bit more relaxed and carefree and get some recovery in. Yeah, maybe, you know, sit in the crowd once you're done, you work for the weekend, you know. Couple of beers with the team. Oh, wait, that was us last year in Melbourne. That's exactly what we did in Melbourne. And (laughs) thankfully, uh, Guzmas and Gomez were the sponsors. So we also had free burritos. And free socks. And free socks. We did have free socks, except Matt Hickey, unfortunately, missed out on the socks, apparently. Fingers crossed, uh, GYG are sponsoring again. He can pick some socks up this year because he is over there, isn't he? He is over there. Matt Hickey is heading back over there. Excellent commentator from NBL One South. Uh, But you know what, Matt? That's what you get for being such a good commentator and getting the championship game. You miss out on free socks. But anyway, that will be NBL One Nationals. Um, I had a good chat to James and Garen yesterday, the two commentators from North and now also doing some stuff at Hornsby. They were umming and ahhing whether they should go to Nationals considering that now North have qualified. And I said, look, if you've got the time and the money, just go. Don't second guess it. Just go. It's yeah, so Yeah, just go. Fun. I mean, we, we went as commentators. I mean, I've been to enough junior national championships just as a fan, and they've all been so fun that I can only imagine that NBL One Nationals would be next level. It's so fun. And we <laughs> went to the first one last year. So I imagine that, you know, there would be a little bit, some a couple more in improvements not that it was bad like or really needed improving um but just with experience as you know things just get a little bit more fine-tuned and you know there's going to be those NBL guys there um this season that there weren't last year I mean I don't think there's as many as would have been there last year if they were allowed to play but I mean you still get to see guys like Drimmick, McCarran, Ulbrich, plenty of uh, good NBL players there and I tell you what it is a real shop window for those guys who are right on the cusp. Maybe an NBL team's umming and ahhing, or, oh, you know, he's shown he can do it in East, or he's shown he can do it at NBL 1 level, but can he do it against the best of the best in NBL 1? Those guys who haven't had the chance to show out against NBL players. Yeah, that's a very, very good point, actually. It's going to put them under the microscope. It's always worth, if you can, to try and get a training spot at least and still put your put your face under the right people's noses. And I mean, not just for this year, for next year as well. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. No. It's all about building some relationships and getting your name out there, I think, sometimes. Definitely. Um, and then just to finish up the episode, not a lot of news and gossip, as you can imagine, being the end of the season. NBL One East Awards were all announced leading up to the final yesterday. But, Lockie, they did announce the MVP nominations. And then they announced the All-Star Five, and there were two very different sets of five players. What was your takeaway? I mean, the All-Star Five looked a little more position-specific, but it didn't feel a lot position-specific compared to what the MVP race was. I mean, I get it. Uh, If they want to, you know, call it position-specific All-Star Five, that's fine. The problem is now you're saying that I think Kim Hodge was one of the players who was named in the All-Star 5 who wasn't in the MVP race. So what, now you're saying the best centre in the league is at best the sixth in voting? Izzy Bourne was actually in the All-Star 5, so I imagine she would be centre. And, and, and Hodge Kimmy Hodge would be right? at the four. Was Izzy in the MVP? Izzy was in the M- No, so, you know, right. so what are we saying? Like, yeah. It says a lot without saying a lot kind of thing when you see players who are in the All-Star 5 not in the MVP hunt and mm-hmm. vice versa. You're telling everyone that they're not in the top five for voting when you release the uh, All-Star 5 like that. So based from what I was told about how it all works is that you have your 3-2-1 votes after every game and that goes towards MVP. Nominating and voting for people for an All-Star 5 is completely separate and it, it does go by positions and the clubs could nominate particular players for particular positions. I have heard about that nominating players for particular positions because a lot of teams who have got good wings, for example, or a really good point guard and a really good wing will name the wing as their nomination for forward so they ultra-star point guard doesn't lose out on on votes to a player from the same, you know, you know they can name two players even though... The wing's probably been playing shooting guard more of the season than actually like the three or four spot. This is correct, which I think is also a bone of contention with a lot of people in the East who either Mm. pay that close attention to these things or have to vote. So for me, begs the question, when it comes to voting for All-Star 5 or picking an All-Star 5, should we just go positionless and just reward the players who perform the best over the season? I don't think you need the clubs to nominate certain players. You you don't have to tell me, you know, what position. In fact, the league should probably put a list and say, you know, these are the inside players, these are the outside players. If you ask me, it should be two guards, two bigs, and then your fifth can be either. Not hemmed into positions, but also not completely positionless. Because if you go guard, guard, forward, forward, center, then it gets way too... They, then that's when you do get players who are like, you know, just in there. You know, it was a down year in that position maybe or something like that. And also, as far as MV, I hate 3-2-1 voting. I absolutely hate it. Because if you think so Sutherland, I can't remember who they played. Might have been the COE game. Nicholson had 28, Fabro had 21, and Norris had 20. Are you telling me that Norris's one point or 20 points in that game is worth one vote? when there are players out there who are going to have worse games, get the three votes. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that whole thing needs to be revisited. I think it's really, I think it's just a bit outdated now. Yeah. Um, And I would like to see some other kind of system used. I wonder if the other leagues are still using that Mm 3-2-1 system as well Uh, because we still even had to use it on, on finals day. 
No, yeah, it's, I'm I'm not a fan. Um, yeah, MVP. It should just be a season vote. Three, two, one for the season, or five, like the NBA does. You know, is it five, three, one, or pick, pick a voting system and just let people vote for their you know top players throughout the season because the three is not a three in every game. Yeah, that's right. I totally yeah. agree. Yeah. So things to look forward to in future NBA one seasons as well. So Lucky, any final thoughts before we finish this week's episode? If you are heading over to Perth, have an absolutely wonderful trip and scream the house down for our East teams, please. So just a reminder, uh, Friday the 18th, Nationals kicks off. The Norse women playing Northside Wizards from Queensland at 4.30pm. Now it's listed as 4.30pm. I'm going to guess that's 4.30pm Australian Western Standard Time. It's not listed on the website, but we can use our noggins. At 8.30 p.m. on the Friday, the 18th of August, again, assuming it's Australian Western Standard Time, Sutherland Sharks will take on Geraldton Buccaneers. So that's going to be a late one. And you mentioned North Northside. I'm going to claim this till the day I die. Northside featuring Sutherland Sharks junior Courtney Woods. MVP of the conference, MVP of the final. She's had an absolutely outstanding NBL one season, Courtney Woods. I'm really excited for her going into the next WNBL season. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she has just come on in leaps and bounds since coming back from college. You got in there with Townsville. Um, great player development up there. So just before we wrap up as well, it was great to see a lot of familiar faces uh, at the NBL one East finals on the weekend. Uh, spoke to the likes of Coach Jez from Sutherland, Sydney Hunter, Maddie Washington from Maitland, Cappy and Brittany from ba- uh, Bankstown Bruins, a lot of Maitland fans and a lot of Norse fans. And we received a lot of lovely and positive feedback about our podcast, Lockie. So we really want to uh, make sure that you know we appreciate that A, you guys are listening and B, that you guys are enjoying it. So thank you again for listening and your ongoing support. We're very happy to be showcasing NBL One East. Oh, also, Coach DK was there, had a good chat to him before he chuffed off. Yeah. I might put some photos on our Instagram as well. But, yeah, just wanted to say thanks again to everyone for listening and tuning in. Uh, despite this being grand final episode, we'll probably do one more episode to wrap up Nationals uh, before we finish our very first season of Scott Game. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast, whatever streaming service you may use, and share with your friends. We've also noticed that a couple of people have very kindly left five-star reviews on our Spotify. So please go ahead and write yourself a review on Spotify, Apple, Google, or Pocket Casters, if you please. And most of all, don't sleep on the East.